All right, uh, if you could go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 18. Am I on here? Am I on over here? Yeah, all right. So I forgot to put it on a slide, but if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 18 this morning. It's going to be our text. Luke 18, verse 9. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood up, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So good morning. Uh, Glad to be here again with you all this morning. Uh, Welcome if you're visiting with us. We're thankful that you are here with us today. Um, So last week we finished up a small series, three weeks on great faith. We are starting a new series for a few weeks here, uh, all around the idea of desiring God's will. And I don't want you to think that there's overlap on accident, okay? Uh, This entire year, we've been coming through the lens of our mission statement, our aim as a church, and our, our, our first and foremost, our aim as the Melbourne Church of Christ is to glorify God, amen? And everything that we do, all of our service, all of our outreach, all the things that we do, our aim is to glorify God. And so the past three weeks, we talked about great faith in times where we're struggling, where our faith might be smaller than in other times of our lives, where it might be bigger, right? Where we are going through difficult times and we have to learn how to build our faith, how to lean into those times and not be afraid when they come up, how to increase our faith. So we're going to spend a few weeks here about the idea of actually desiring God's will, desiring God's will in our life. And a lot of this material, I've referenced this book before, uh, comes from the book called Desiring God's Will, appropriately titled for for the uh, sermon series, Desiring God's Will by David Benner. And so we're going to look through this for a few weeks about how we as disciples who claim that we want our aim to be to glorify God, how we can strive towards actually desiring his will in our life as well. Okay, it has to be intentional. We have to be actively searching and seeking how we can desire God's will. This is not purely an idea or an abstract thought. Okay, because sometimes we can get real churchy in here, right? Right? We can say, oh, I desire God's will, but what does it actually mean? Hopefully, we're able to uncover that and see, for me, for Jimmy, for you, whoever you might be, how can I really actively desire God's will? But in order, I think, to understand how we can actively desire God's will, we have to understand a few obstacles that might come in our way. Moses is a great example. So if you want to have your Bibles in front of you, we're going to be in Exodus just a little bit. We're also going to be in Luke. So if you have a bookmark, okay? So you can go over to Exodus 17 if you want. But Moses, most of us know that uh, he was the liberator, right? The the great liberator of the Israelites out of Egypt, out of Egyptian captivity. God heard their cries and he sent Moses to liberate them from their oppressors. And it was not easy, all right? We know that he is known for liberating the people uh, out of Egypt, but he fell short in a lot of ways. Right Along the way, all the people of Israel, they kept falling short over and over again. And in Exodus chapter 17, we have a perfect example of this, okay? Along the way, as these people are wandering through the desert, right? 
they obviously have physical needs. They need food. They need water. And along the way, they get very frustrated, mainly with Moses, right? They're talking about how it would be better if we would have stayed in Egypt. At least we're not going to die out here in the wilderness. Look, look, look what it says here in Exodus 17. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to test? But the people were thirsty for water there. And they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Moses is in an awful situation here. He has done great things in the name of the Lord. He has brought these people out of Egyptian captivity. And along the way, they keep getting frustrated, making idols, doing all the things they ought not do. And all the while, grumbling and complaining to Moses. Sounds like a frustrating job, right? I would not want to be Moses. But when he gets these frustrating, uh, not com- I was going to say compliments. These are not compliments, right? Arguments uh, thrusted towards him. What is his response? What is Moses' response in this moment? Let's look right here. In Exodus 17, verses 5 through 6, after Moses goes to him, the Lord answers Moses and says, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it and the people for the people to drink it. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Excellent. This is a fantastic act of God where God is using Moses once again to be a liberator, right? A liberator of water from the stone. And this should hold the people of Israel over for a long time, right? If you've read the Bible before, they're never happy for very long, okay? They get things like this to happen, and they're happy for a moment. They say, praise God, praise God, this is awesome. You are our God of all gods. But then things kind of turn sideways for the people of, uh, of Israel, right? Let's go over to, I'll have the Numbers uh, chapter 20 on here for you. And we have a similar situation. Time passes, but the people still have physical needs, okay? And in Numbers chapter 20, this is a different Uh, a different experience here, okay, mind you. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? And then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you do not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Wow. Once again, I don't want to be Moses. Okay, very similar events here. We have the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 17 saying, we want water, please, please give us water. And then Moses speaks to God and God brings forth water from the rock. We have a similar experience here in Numbers chapter 20 where the Israelites are saying, please, we want water. You should have just left us in Egypt to die, Moses. And then Moses speaks to God, but then something different takes place. Yes, the Israelites still get the water but it's in a different way, okay? Let's look at a little bit of the difference here. This is Moses' response to the people. Listen, you rebels, must we bring water from this rock? 
Do you see the difference there? You see how this big metaphor, right, for God being the ultimate liberator of his people from captivity is now taken on by Moses, right? Moses stands in that place where God alone should stand. Instead of God being the liberator of of water from the rock, Moses puts himself and says, I am the liberator of water from the rock. And we have a common theme actually throughout Exodus. Wherever the Israelites would mess up, God would say, your people are doing this. Your people, you brought your people out 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 of Egypt. I didn't do that. Right? When they would turn their back on God. Because if we look at the entire story, we recognize from a bird's eye view saying God brought his people out of Israel and Moses was a vessel for God. But along the way, not only did the Israelites get all that twisted, Moses himself does as well. He sees himself as the liberator. He sees himself as in control. And Moses positions himself in the driver's seat for the people of Israel. It's a very similar spirit to what we read about in Luke chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, just be mindful of Luke chapter 18, right? We read about the Pharisee and the tax collector and how the Pharisee is is coming to the temple and and he's saying, thank God I'm not like this guy, right? And, And all the while the tax collector, sometimes seen as a villain throughout the New Testament, is beating his breast saying, I'm not even worthy. I'm not worthy to look up to heaven, and, and we have this idea of Moses, and we have this idea of this parable that we read, but we, we have this emphasis on something that is at the heart of it all, and that's the, the problem with our pride at times. Do you see that throughout both stories? We have the problem with the pride of Moses where he goes, and he says something like this, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water from this rock? We have this emphasis of pride where the Pharisee is saying, Thank God I'm not like this man, because... I have my entire life put together. Pride is a problem. We could all nod our heads a little bit, okay? Pride is a problem no matter who you are or where you're at. Even Moses deals with a little bit of pride. And the scary thing is, is that we can read all this, and we can read about Moses, and we can say, Moses, you were wrong for doing this. Or, hey, Pharisee, you were wrong for thinking that way. But we still all struggle with pride just a little bit, right? Yes, I just got one yes. Yes, we all still struggle with pride. Moses is the same man. We read two separate stories, but it is the same man. And he struggles throughout his life being this perfect vessel of God, right? Even when he's afraid and when he's saying, God, I am not your guy. Please send somebody else. And God said, just go. I'm gonna, your, 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 your brother Aaron's going to come along with you, but I want you to go. The I am is with you. And and we see this perfect example of a man who humbles himself and carries out God's service. But we also see this Numbers 20 version of Moses where it's Moses in the driver's seat. We have this pride that is difficult to deal with and we recognize that it's the same man. It's the same struggle. And I would even posit that the parable that we read about between the Pharisee and the tax collector can even be the same person. Right? We, in, the, in the parable, we have two separate people where one is obviously the prideful person and one is obviously the humble person. But oftentimes in our lives, it's not either or. It happens to be that we're both people all the time. We carry around with us this emphasis on pride while also having this humble side to us. It's this dichotomy that we're always going to battle in our lives, the things that we want to do for God while also wanting to do our own thing at times. Am I right? 
I think I am, okay? We deal with multiple identities, and maybe this is just because I just finished watching the new Disney Plus show, The Moon Knight. I don't know if you guys are Marvel people, but it's this story about this guy who's dealing with all these different multiple identities, but he doesn't realize that they exist for the first half of the show. And the problem is, in our Christian walk, sometimes we want to posit ourselves as these humble servants of God without recognizing that prideful side of us that's always going to be there. We want to disregard that identity and say, oh, we are only this, without recognizing just how sinful we can be and just how prideful we can be. And when we don't acknowledge it, it can control our lives. When we don't acknowledge it, we end up looking like a Pharisee, right? We have all the Bible knowledge the world can offer but yet we still struggle with our pride at times. Multiple identities. It's like this idea of Romans chapter 7, if you remember this, where Paul, he has this long dialogue about the things that he wants to do, he does not do, right? And the things that he does not want to do, he ends up doing. There's always this pull. And if Paul is saying that, I guarantee we're dealing with that too. One of the most disciplined people you could probably ever read about, right? Paul is dealing with this idea of the things that I want to do, I end up not doing. The things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. There's this pull towards the things that we don't want to do. But I think it's really important that we acknowledge and recognize just how prideful we can be because if we posit ourselves as these humble Christians, we're we're disregarding the fact that we need a graceful Jesus to deal with those prideful instincts in our lives. If we don't deal with it, we're not going to be able to deal with it. That makes a whole lot of nonsense right there. But if we don't recognize it, we're not going to understand that it's there. So my question for you this morning is, how does pride limit our ability to, de- excuse me, to desire God's will? This is the first question we kind of have to wrestle with. How does pride limit our ability to desire God's will? And I want you to think about your own lives for a second. Think about where you are the most fluent. Think about where you're the most comfortable in your lives, okay? Think about those places, whether it be your work or within your family, whatever it might be, and the mindset that you carry into those places. And I'm not saying it's bad to be confident, but I think there's a difference between confidence and pride. So the question remains, how does pride limit our ability to desire God's will? I think the bottom line is that discipline for the sake of discipline does not produce desire. Okay, we read about the Pharisee here and we all know that the Pharisees are all about discipline, right? They're making other rules outside of God's law for other people to follow and they're trying to enforce them. These people are the epitome of discipline. But the problem with the Pharisees is that their discipline was outside of what God was willing for his people. They were making additional rules, additional sacrifices that people had to make that weren't really in in line with what the law of God was calling his people to do. Discipline was a virtue, not just following God. And people, things don't change very much, okay? We talk about this happening thousands of years ago, but I guarantee you today in this room, there are more of us that just value discipline for the sake of discipline than we realize, okay? If we are just following after the people who are able to grit their teeth and get through things... In certain places, that's great. And you could probably say, Jimmy, you know, there's plenty of verses that say that that discipline is a virtue. And I'd say you're right. But if your discipline is not directing you towards a place where God is designing you to go, it's worthless. The Pharisees are known for their their maintaining of these rules. 
But they were their rules. They're following their own rules and giving themselves pats on the back. Right? And we can all shake our heads and be like, yeah, those dumb Pharisees, but we do the exact same thing. We do the exact same thing. Think about, maybe it's not so much now, but for me growing up, church attendance was a really big deal. Okay? It ought to be, right? We should come to church because we want to come to church. But when I grew up, church attendance was, if the doors are open, you better be there. And it doesn't matter what you're doing while you're there. As long as your body is physically inside the building, you're checking a box in order to have your discipline box checked. Right? You better be reading your Bible every single day. It doesn't matter if your mind is, any, is, is elsewhere. As long as you have your eyes on the scriptures, then you've checked your box for that day. Do I need to continue? <laughs> Maybe, right? Discipline for the sake of discipline does not produce desire. It's one of those things, um, I never re- actually read the, mo- the, the book, I was in the movie, read the book Moby Dick, but there's the character Captain Ahab, right? who the entire book is about him pursuing this one thing, and Captain Ahab is going to stop at nothing. Storm, nothing can stop Captain Ahab from getting his goal, from finishing his desire. And we look at that and say, that's determination, that's grit, that's desire. But did anybody ever ask him the question, why? Just stop. Is it really, is is you pursuing this whale going to make your life any different? Maybe mentally for a little bit, but there's always going to be some other ghost to chase, right? There's always that extra thing that we tend to to gravitate towards once we figure out what we want to do. They talk about it all the time in sports, right? Once you win one championship, do you just retire? No. They say, oh, now you need to have, if you want a real legacy, you have to have two championships. You know, if if you have two, you have to have three. Our society is built around this idea of just pursuing things for the sake of pursuing them and not what the heart is actually leading us to do. And so we take that same mentality and bring it into the church and say, if I'm disciplined, therefore I am pursuing God's calling in my life. And that just isn't true. Discipline for the sake of discipline does not produce desire. So, oh yeah, I have this other thing, this other quote from the book I forgot to say. This is a quote from... uh, I guess I didn't put it in there. Never mind. Okay. Uh, the question, going from there, excuse me, is how do we work to overcome pride to grow towards desiring God's will? Okay, so how do we overcome pride to grow towards desiring God's will? So we recognize this is a problem. We recognize that Moses, even though he's the same person, has this struggle with humility, being this great vessel of God and also being this kind of prideful man at times. We have this image of the parable between the Pharisee and the tax collector where we recognize that, you know what, I am both of those people at certain times in my life. So the question is, how do we work to overcome this emphasis on pride to grow towards desiring God's will? I think the very first thing we have to do is ask ourselves, why? Because discipline, for the sake of discipline, does not produce desire. Ask yourself, why do you do the things that you do? And I recognize it's weird for me as a minister at the church to ask you to ask yourself the question, why do I come to church? But if your answer is, I don't know, then I think you need to do more searching. Right? We're not here to fill these seats on Sunday. We're not here for that. I don't really care how many people come on Sunday. Shocking. Okay? 
<laughs> because if we have a thousand people or if we have 10 people here, and if the 10 people are saying, I'm here to be with my community, I'm here to be lifting up God's name together with the community of Christians, a community of believers, that is much more valuable than the thousand people who are just checking a box for discipline's sake, right? There's a prideful ambition to someone who says that, therefore, or excuse me, if I go to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, whatever, for the rest of my life, therefore, I am a good person. No, that's just a prideful thing to say that I'm doing what I need to do in order to get what I want. If we're not asking the question why, we're going to find ourselves down the road saying, do I even believe any of this? Do I even actually desire God's will? Do I care about God's will in my life? enough for me to change everything, to drop everything and do something different? If you're not asking yourself the question why, you're wasting your Sundays. Ask yourself why. What is your motivation? What are you seeking? And once you're in that place, maybe you're, you're sweating a little bit here. Maybe you don't know the answer to that. Why am I here? I think the second thing is super important is to seek spiritual transfusion. Okay, that's a funny way to say this, but it's a transfusion. We talk about blood transfusion sometimes. We talk about that in medical terminology. But when we are in this place of, I don't know, I think it's a, an appropriate response to say, God, how can your spirit be entwined with my spirit? Just as we had the Pharisee and the tax collector, this idea that these two people are really living inside of me, this prideful nature and this humble nature living inside of me, I want God to be in the middle of that. I want Jesus to step in the middle of that and say, God, I don't know what to do with my pride. I don't know what to do when there's times where I'm actually humble and being a good vessel for you. God, can you intervene and make my spirit more like your spirit? Last week, we just talked about Jesus surrendering his will to God. And when he says, God, if there's any other way, please make it so. But really, at the end of the day, it's not my will, but yours be done. That spirit, we talked last week about that surrender Really, we have to be able to do that on a, daily, on a daily basis and ask for our spirit to be transfused with the Holy Spirit. Our selfish, prideful motivations to be transfused with the Holy Spirit saying, God, I really want to do this, but help me not to be that way. Help me to be a self-sacrificial person rather than the prideful person that I want to be in this situation. Help me to be that in every facet of my life, with my wife, with my children, with my friends. Help me to be self-sacrificial to even those I despise being around. That's, the only work that, that's only the work that the Holy Spirit can do. I promise you that. We want what we want. We desire discipline for the sake of discipline. And I'm not saying, don't walk away from this saying, Jimmy's telling me to be undisciplined. I'm not saying that. I am not saying that because I do believe that the practice of spiritual disciplines will shape you into the person that God is calling you to be. But I think when you recognize and ask yourself the question, why am I doing it? And you're seeking this spiritual transfusion, allowing the spirit of God to be more in line with your spirit, you're going to see that those disciplines take on new life. You no longer dread them, maybe when your reminder goes off in the morning. You no longer dread seeing the Bible app on your phone. You no longer dread the opportunity to pray with someone who needs your prayer. It's instead an opportunity to live in God's spirit and to live out what God's calling you to do. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at how we can desire God's will more in our lives. But I think the first obstacle we have to really hurdle is ourselves. 
I think of it this way. When Joshua was about to lead the Israelites uh, across the Jordan, the very first thing that he receives from God is that God says to consecrate yourself, for the Lord is going to do great things in and among your people the next day. And literally what, what consecrate means is to make yourself holy, to sanctify yourself. But another way you could look at that word is to say, get out of the way. Because the Spirit's going to do a great thing in and through your people tomorrow. So in order for us to truly understand God's will, we have to say, you know what? That prideful identity, it exists, and I'm not saying it doesn't. But God, I want you to be in in my life so that that no longer controls what I do every single day. I want to desire what you desire and no longer what I desire. Help me to be a better vessel for you rather than my own will in this world. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time, and I really thank you for, I thank you for Moses. We're able to look here at this man who is just a symbol of righteousness, a symbol of faithfulness, while at the same time falling short time and time again. The people of Israel, your people, God, falling short time and time again. And we look at them in the mirror and say, we are exactly like that. We are exactly those prideful people. And we are also those, those vessels of your love in this world. God, help those two things to come together and help your spirit to be in and among us. Help us to be transfused with your spirit. Help us to be diminished and help your will to be just vibrant in our lives, in our communities. God, help us to let go of our pride. Help us to recognize that we don't know everything and that we need to lean on your understanding and your truth to be any kind of vessel for your righteousness in this world. So just let me pray. Amen. At this time, we, we, offer this, we offer this time if you have any needs to come forward. But if you don't want to come forward, you can go backwards. You can go sideways. You can find somebody today to talk to. Say, you know what? I'm really struggling with pride. Can you please help me? Please be a spirit of helpfulness to one another. Let's all stand and sing.